Good morning. Thank you all so much for the support and encouragement that you've shown each of us as we've attempted to become online pastors these last several weeks. We cannot thank you enough for the love that you've shown us. We're excited to continue to offer HC online moving forward, but next week we're also going to be able to worship in person with you. And we are very, very excited about that. Hopefully you've seen some announcements and you'll continue to see announcements about what that's going to look like. But right now we are in week three of our first Peter series. Last week, Pastor Roger taught us about the priceless inheritance that we as believers have in Jesus Christ, waiting for us in heaven one day. We read about the salvation of our souls and that's the reward for a person placing their faith and trust in Jesus. That simply means recognizing that we've sinned, recognizing that we're not perfect and that that sin requires a payment. Believing God's word is true and that he sent his son Jesus to fulfill that payment by living among, among men perfectly, by dying, giving up his life willingly, and then rising again victoriously. Turn away from your sin and trust that Jesus is the only way for salvation. And by doing that, you too can be confident of your salvation. If you've recently made that decision, if you have questions about making that decision, or if you just need next steps in what that looks like following Jesus moving forward, we invite you to text the word TRUST NOW to 94000. That's TRUST NOW to 94000. Now you might already say, what in the world are you doing, Nick? That's supposed to go at the end of the sermon. We always preach and and give the invitation at the end. Uh, And to you, I would say, I was thinking about that very thing this week, and I thought, I wonder if we shouldn't talk about the fact that Jesus saves at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end, every single time we open God's Word. But today specifically, the reason that I'm opening with that statement and with that good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ is that beginning in verse 13 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us how to respond to salvation. So I didn't really want us to get into the response of our salvation without first explaining what salvation is. So if you would look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. We'll read it a little bit at a time here. Verse 13 says, "So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Because of your salvation, Prepare your minds. That's the, the, the word so there. There's four or five instances uh, in this section of Scripture that we're going to read today that begin with the word so. Other versions says therefore. In other words, because of. So because of your salvation, prepare your minds. And notice that it says prepare your minds for action. It doesn't sound like we're just sitting around and waiting on heaven. Uh, we don't read about our eternal inheritance in the, in the passage before and then read that we're just supposed to sit back and wait. But Peter goes in and begins this passage by saying, prepare your minds for action, for action. The King James Version says it this way, gird up the loins of your mind. The first thing I think of when I read that is that I'm thankful for wise men and women who've continued to translate Scripture because uh, I, I, that would lose me right there. But it's also good to read those older translations sometimes so that we get a little bit more sense of what the writer was talking about. Gird up the loins of your mind is really referring to an ancient practice of gathering up your robes in order to move in a hurry. Gathering up everything that's, that's holding you back in order to move in a hurry. In other words, pull, up, pull in all the loose ends of your thinking. 
Pull in all those things that weigh you down. Not dwelling on your current circumstances, adversities, troubles, not looking to money or other people to solve your problems, but instead pull up all those loose ends and focus your hope and attention on eternity. Focus your hope and attention completely on God's grace that He gives us and, and demonstrates to us through salvation. We recently, uh, a year or so ago, led our students through a series entitled Think to help them understand that we can't let our guard down against Satan. I think it's so important here that Peter uses the word prepare your minds for action. We can't let our guard down when it comes to defending against Satan. Careless mental habits are indefensible. If we just go through life without thinking, without concentrating, without focusing our hope and our attention on eternal things, we're going to let our guard down, and that is indefensible. We can't be ready to defend against Satan's attacks. Prepare your minds. Keep them sharp and focused on the eternal. Peter knew that by looking toward our eternal reward, we would be more motivated for present obedience, which is where he takes us in the next passage here. He knew that if we focused on that eternal reward, that we'd be far more motivated for present obedience than if we just ignored the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Because of your salvation, live obediently. Because of your salvation, in response to your salvation, live obediently. Peter says, so you must live as God's obedient children. C.S. Lewis, uh, about a, almost a hundred years ago, wrote a book, and it has this quote in it. And I want to read it to you. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Peter says, don't go back, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. We don't realize what we're missing out on. We don't live obediently to Scripture because we think that we know what's best for our lives and we don't realize all that God has for us, has in store for us if we just live obediently. We're kind of like the child who, and I'm sure you have them as, as I have three kids, and I've seen this with all three of them. Uh, our kids can have everything that they want, everything that they need, hundreds of dollars worth of toys, and yet they find the most joy in the box. And I think sometimes God looks down at us and sees us playing with the box and not what He has in store for us in our life if we would just live obediently. I think that we might settle for less because... Being holy, as Peter talks about here, it says, be holy as I am holy. You must be holy in everything you do. And that's this lofty idea that sounds impossible. And, and so sometimes we just settle for less because that seems unreachable. It seems unattainable. And, and I, holiness is not a word describing a, a place or a mood. I think sometimes we 
think in Scripture where it talks about the holy of holies, and, and certainly that's, a, that's a, a very holy place, but we've translated that into our modern um, world, into our modern culture, and we think that maybe stained glass windows and, and a dark room and, and some, uh, some organ music uh, creates holiness, and that's not it at all. Holiness is not a word describing a place or a mood. It's a word that speaks of integrity and righteousness in our daily conduct. To break it down a little bit further, the root meaning of the word holy is simply this. It's different. Be different. Be different. Peter said, don't slip back into your old ways of living. Be different not only from our past way of life, but different from the lifestyles of unbelievers around you. That's what holiness looks like. It looks like different. It's a problem when a Christian is like that old character in the book, Where's Waldo? If you look at the pages of the book and, you, and, and when Waldo's blended in and he's hard to find, it's a problem when a Christian is like Waldo. When he blends in, just blending into the world around, that's a problem. Holiness is being different. Peter actually gives us this command twice, this so command, this therefore command twice. Look over in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. He says, in essence, the same thing. He says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. In other words, live as God's obedient children. If we're to be His people, we must behave as His people. Someone said it this way, You're a child of God, now go out and live like one. Listen to these supporting passages here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, And all who have this eager expectation, that eager expectation of our eternal home in heaven, of that of Jesus' pending return, all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as He is pure. And then in Titus chapter 2, the writer says, And we are instructed to, return from, to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. True salvation always results in obedience. True salvation always results in obedience. And growing up, it was pretty easy to tell if uh, you were being obedient to your parents. I know at least it was in my house. Uh, it was pretty easy to know if, if I was being an, an obedient child. But you might say, well, how do I know if I'm being obedient to God? How do I know if I'm doing what God wants me to do? The key to obedience is asking, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's the key to knowing if you're being an obedient child of God. The Bible holds the answers that lead to obedience in every area of life. And here's something really cool. You'll find so much more than answers when you look into God's Word. It's not just about finding the right answer. It's not just about being an obedient child. One of my favorite commentators, Warren Wiersbe, said this, We don't study the Bible to get to know the Bible. We study the Bible to get to know God. And so as you're looking in God's words to see what does the Bible say about this or that or this situation or that situation in life, you're not only going to get the answers, but you're going to get to know your Creator. And that is, is all of our goal, is to, to know God and look more and more like His Son, Jesus. Look now with me at verse 17. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites, 
He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. Temporary residents, we can't, we can't skip over that part. That's, that's a little bit about what Pastor Roger taught us about last week, that we're only here temporarily, that we have a home in heaven. And I just want to go ahead and confess to you that I'm guilty of that sounding better on some days than others. There's some days in life where things just aren't going my way, and I'm like, I, I just say, God, just, just come on, just send, send Jesus on back to get us now. I'm ready to go. And what that does is, is that, that focuses my attention on the eternal, but it also lets me see the times in my life where I'm not focused. Because when things are going pretty good, I kind of like life. I, I kind of like wh- what, I'm, what I'm going through on a daily basis. I, I, I'm comfortable. But my mind, it tells me that my mind is not ready for action. My mind is not focused on the eternal. Because I only get excited about this temporary residence thing when, when I'm ready to get out of here. And I don't know if you, uh, if you relate to that or not, but that's certainly where I come from. And it tells me that my mind is not ready for action on a day-to-day basis. Temporary residence. Live in reverent fear of God. Not only because of your salvation should you prepare your minds for action, should you live obediently, But Peter says here in verse 17, because of your salvation, fear God. Now there's two things we need to clear up here pretty quickly before anybody gets scared off of this passage here. Number one is this word fear. It's not a paralyzing terror. This is not something that we're terrified of. Uh, It's a healthy respect. This word fear here, when we say fear God, it's it's giving God a healthy respect. Not, Not hiding behind the chair being terrified. Think of it this way. Um, I'm blessed to have a wonderful relationship with my dad. My parents just celebrated their 43rd anniversary this past week, and I'm so blessed and and privileged to have uh, godly parents that raised me in church and and, uh, and raised me to to know to love the Lord. And, uh, and, And throughout my childhood, I never doubted my dad's love for me. But I knew if I stepped out of line, I knew that there were certain things that if I did this or I did that, that there was going to be discipline that would have to take place. I never doubted my dad's love for me, but I recognized I had this, this healthy respect for him, knowing that if I stepped out of line, that there would be consequences or discipline that would have to take place. A child of God should feel totally and completely loved, but know that real and painful consequences come from sin. So don't be scared off by this, this phrase, fear God. It's, just, it's showing God a healthy respect much like a father-son relationship. The second thing we need to clear up is this this talk about judgment here. Um, Verse 17 says, Remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. You need to remember this. Our sins have already been judged as believers. Our sins have already been judged on the cross and cannot be held against us. This judgment here that that Peter's speaking of is a it's, it's, it's an event called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ, and it's been referred to as the family, a family judgment. It's for believers, uh, and it's in a time in, in the end times where we'll give an account of our work and we'll receive appropriate reward all for the glory of God. It, it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, something to, to fear. It's something to uh, look forward to, but at the same time work toward the judgment seat of Christ is when we'll give an account of our works and we'll receive rewards based on what we've done all for the glory of God. Not so that we can get a pat on the back, but so that we can recognize 
the awesomeness of our God. So in short, when we hear fear God, and we've kind of explained this fear idea and this, this judgment idea here, know this, no Christian should fear that God will ever cast them away because they're not good enough or because they continue to struggle in sin. But every Christian should fear God's discipline and displeasure when we choose to live selfishly and choose to take our own path rather than obediently following God's Word. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says this, Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. We should live as grateful children who, who love to show respect for our Heavenly Father because of what He's done for us, which is described here in verse 18 through 21. It's a beautiful passage that Peter gives us in verse 18. It says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. Began, but now in these last days he has revealed for your he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God, because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Don't miss this. Verse 20 God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Jesus wasn't just plan B. This just didn't happen because God saw that everything was going crazy and so He created this secondary plan. This was not plan B. God sent His Son, Jesus, and gave that precious blood of Christ as the sinless payment for our sin long before the world began. He, had, he put this plan in motion. This was not a last-minute thought. I love this part where it says, uh, not with mere gold or silver, which lose their, their value. And the version we're reading here says paid. Other versions say you were not redeemed with gold or silver. That redeemed word is important here. Redeemed means set free by paying a price. In ancient days, redemption was a technical term used uh, to, to talk about the money that would be paid to buy back a prisoner of war or a slave's freedom. You and I were a slave to sin. We were enslaved to sin, but we don't have to be any longer because we've been redeemed. We've been bought back by the precious blood of Jesus. Another beautiful part here is where Peter's reminding us of the Old Testament when he calls Jesus that spotless lamb of God. All the way back to Adam and Eve, animals were used as sacrifices. And in the book of Exodus, we have the Passover lamb that was slain for every Jewish family in Egypt. Isaac and Abraham, as Abraham was leading his son Isaac up the mountain, Isaac famously said, where is the lamb? And then John the Baptist answers several books of the Bible later as we begin the New Testament. John the Baptist gives the answer to where is the lamb when in John chapter 1 he says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, and it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Because of your salvation, fear God. Show God that healthy respect that He deserves because of His plan A, because of the plan that He put in motion long ago 
to save you and I from the penalty of our sins. Look at verse number 22. Verse 22, as we conclude our passage here today, says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. As we conclude this passage in 1 Peter today, uh, Peter concludes, he gives us one more, so now, one more, therefore, because of your salvation, love each other. And this Christian love for one another, it's, it's not a feeling. It's a matter of the will. It's something that we have to come in determine that we're going to do because let's face it, we're all unique, we're all different, uh, but believers have something incredible in common. Incredible. And so because of our salvation, we come in making it a point to love one another. Remember, Peter said, prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. This is something that we have to come in and consciously do. We have to, we're not just going to fall into this feeling of love. We're having to, it's a matter of our will. We're going to we're gonna come in purposely ready to love one another. Give of yourself without expecting return. Respect one another and their varying opinions. We have a desperate need for spiritual unity, in, in, especially in our world where everybody wants to choose sides. We, we have a desperate need for spiritual unity. John 13 tells us that the world will know that we are His disciples if we love one another. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We have an incredible privilege to be part of the family of God. You're a part of the family of God. Be that fun uncle that is everybody's favorite. Be that crazy aunt that spoils all the kids. Be the family member that everyone loves to be around. You're a part of the family of God. Because of your salvation, love one another. As a parent of an almost 18-year-old now, we found ourselves telling him and his sisters over and over and over again, phrases like practice is going to determine how you play. Grades are going to determine whether you get into college and what college you get into. College is going to determine your career. What you do today is going to affect tomorrow. And, and that's all that's true. But First Peter teaches us as believers something that, that's, that's quite the opposite. First Peter teaches us to allow our future to determine our present. Allow what we're looking towards to determine, to determine how we live today. Prepare your mind. Live obediently. Fear the Lord. Love one another because of your salvation. Because of what we're looking forward to, that priceless inheritance. If you have questions about salvation, if you want your future to determine your present, please, I'm going to invite you again to text the word TRUST NOW to 94000. Let that future, that, that priceless inheritance that we're looking forward to determine how you live today, text TRUST NOW to 94000. As mentioned earlier this morning, next week we're going to be gathering here at Holland Chapel on campus as well as having HC online, but we want to give you a few things to expect. So here's what you can expect as you arrive next week. We hope you can join us, and until then, have a wonderful week.